everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Bulletproof Hygiene. I am very excited. I have a special guest joining us today. This is Tom Viola, and he is amazing. He is a um, pharmacist, but not just any pharmacist. Um, He has over 30 years experience as a board certified pharmacist, clinical educator, professional speaker, and published author. Tom is kind of the go-to specialist for making pharmacology practical and useful for all members of the dental team. And as the founder of Pharmacology Declassified, Tom provides valuable insight on the complex interplay between pharmacology and physiology. So clinicians may be knowledgeable about not only the dental considerations of medications used to treat systemic illness, but also the systemic considerations of medications used to provide dental treatment. As an educator, Tom is a member of the faculty of over 10 different professional degree programs and has received several awards for Outstanding Teacher of the Year. As an author, Tom is well known for his contributions to several professional journals and has served as a contributor, chapter author, and peer reviewer for several pharmacology textbooks and currently serves as a consultant to the American Dental Association's Council on Scientific Affairs. As a speaker, Tom has presented over 1,000 informative, humorous, and engaging continuing education seminars and webinars to dental professionals internationally since 2001. And Tom, I got to be honest, it's confessional time. Pharmacology was not my strong suit in hygiene school. In fact, it was the thorn in my side. It was the only course I didn't do very well. Um, Unfortunately, our professor was not very engaging, so I love that you come at this with a just really practical but also humorous approach to make it engaging um, because it is such an important thing for what we do day to day. You know, as the hygienist, I think honestly, when our new patients come in, our new patients start with us in my practice as the hygienist, and we sit down knee to knee and eye to eye with our patients and go through this medical history. And so I'm so excited to have you here. Tell me a little bit about why you're passionate about this, because I know you kind of have a love for hygienists and helping them through this. Tell me how that got started for you. Sure. Well, I won't be the first one to confess to you that um, <clears throat> pharmacology was not my best topic either. How about that? Wow. You know, as a pharmacist, that's saying stuff. Yeah. Like, how can I, as a pharmacist, not be an expert in pharmacology? But I never really was that interested in the subject because I couldn't find a use for it. You know, as a, a pharmacy technician for a lot of years before I became a pharmacist, I watched pharmacists in action and I thought, well, okay. To be a good pharmacist, what do you have to do? Count pills really fast and pour from a big bottle into a small bottle and don't look and don't spill. And if you could do that, well, you're a good pharmacist. So <laughs> that's what I thought. Pharmacology, pharmacology, nobody cares about that. It, it's one other subject I have to take passing and, and be done with. And then 
something happened along the way. Two things happened really. One on a on a more you know ten thousand foot level, your patients became medically complex. And I know this because when I first started in dentistry, I remember the intake form we used to use to uh, have patients fill out when they get started. And I helped design the form. And at the bottom of the form, I left spaces for people to write the names of the medications. I wanted them to write the names, okay, to to see if they even knew what they were taking. All right. So how many spaces did I leave at the bottom of that form people to fill in with their medications? Probably not enough, unfortunately. Well, you would think, right? But actually, I wrote, I left five spaces and most people only filled in like three. Okay. Every so often I have some guy who'd like have six medications and because like, of being the boy from Brooklyn, I would say, really? You screwed up the form because, you know, <laughs> who takes that many medications? So imagine 25 years ago, people only took two or three meds. Now, if you have cardiovascular disease alone, you take two or three medications. Right. Right. If you follow any of the think tanks in dentistry, what do you know? It's periodontal disease, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, comorbidities, right? Okay, so add diabetes on. That's another two or three meds right there. Now, respiratory, GI, endocrine, central nervous system, all of those possible disorders, let's say it's one or two drugs each. It's not uncommon to see patients these days taking eight to 10 medications. I see it every day. I'm sure you do. And plus now add on dietary supplements, the vitamins, the, the stuff they do on the weekends, right? Add, add all that in. And all of a sudden, boy, they got complex fast. Yes. So how I got started and why I love hygienists and, and why I respect them so much is because my start in dental pharmacology came teaching pharmacology to dental hygiene students 25 years ago. And I'm still teaching at that same school 25 years later. So I've seen 25 classes of hygiene students come and go. And I'm still there. And uh, every year I get older and they stay the same age. I don't know how that's possible. (laughs) (laughs) But what I've learned in those 25 years, I've learned to respect hygienists for what they do. And without making this, you know, too political, I've seen a lot of people not give hygienists the respect that they're due. And that always irks me. And so uh, because I speak nationally on pharmacology now to both dentists and hygienists and anybody who will listen at this point, um, I'm always an advocate for the hygienist. Sometimes that gets me in hot water. Sometimes people come to me and say, you know, you're always talking about the hygienist so glowingly. You know, it's not just the hygienist. It's everybody who makes up the team. And I say, yeah. But the hygienist is the reason why people come to see you in the office. Right, right. People come to see the dentist when they have a problem. I get that. And no offense to dentists. They do a great job, and I'm real proud of what they do, too. But the hygienist is the front and back door of any office. It's the first person they want to see. It's the last person they want to say goodbye to. And so that's why you make such a difference. And you save lives. Again, no offense to dentists and assistants who are in and out of the operatory in minutes sometimes. But you, as you said very well before, knee to knee, eye to eye. You are going over the medical history. You're getting all of the information and you save lives because your patients make sometimes bad choices. Right. And when a knowledge well, of pharmacology, you can, you can guide them. Yes. 
Yes. And so I'm so grateful for you being here today because tell me, because you mentioned, you know, we've got patients now, it's not uncommon to see patients that are taking eight to 10 medications. And, you know, it's easy for my eyes to glaze over as I'm looking at this list and I don't recognize, I don't know what all of these are for. And a lot of times the patient doesn't know, you know, and I'll say, oh, tell me what that's for. And then they're like, oh, I'm not really sure. Or, you know, it'll hit where a patient comes in. So, oh, I started a new high blood pressure medication, but I don't remember what that's called. You know, I, I see that all the time. So, Help us kind of wade through when we have these patients that have these laundry lists of medications to, to where we start and what we need to really know when we're looking at that. Very good. Okay. First, the first thought that pops in your head is the greatest blessing ever bestowed upon dental hygiene was you could take a patient's medical history directly from the patient themselves, right? Just sitting right there. Yes. They're their own best reporter, right? And the greatest curse ever inflicted upon dental hygiene was you could take the patient's medical history directly from the patient themselves because they're not the greatest reporter of their medical history. Correct. Correct. They don't, first of all, they don't want you to know necessarily. Right. No okay. I don't oh, know. They feel like it's not important. You know, I'm just here to get my teeth clean. Why do you need to know that's not your perimeter? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you need to know? You're working up here. You don't need to know about this. And every time someone says that to me in the clinic, I make my students crack up by saying, you know, this is connected to this. If you don't want that, I'll get the chainsaw. We'll take that right out. You, <laughs> the rest of you can wait in the car. Leave your head behind. You know, I mean, come on. And people start laughing. Oh, I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. So they don't, first of all, they don't want you to know. And I think the reason is because they, they, they're shy. You know, they don't want to just tell some stranger everything about them. Right. Yes. Also, they, as you said very well, they may not know. They just don't know. What blood yeah. pressure medication do you take? The white one. All right, that narrows it down. <laughs> Again, I don't blame them. They're not experts in medicine. They're not medical professionals. They're Joe and Jane accountant or, you know, Joe and Jane construction worker. They, right. they don't, it's not their valley work, okay? It's our job to get that yes. from them. What else? Well, they don't want you to know because they don't want you to say you can't treat them that way. They took the day off. They scheduled the appointment. They want to get treated today. What's your problem? Why can't you treat me? And, you know, it's, sometimes it's not in their best interest. So th the less they tell you, the less likely you want to say no. So therefore, there's almost this, and again, no one to whitewash everyone. It's everybody right. does this, but, but you get the idea. There are a lot of patients out there to do this. So if the patient doesn't know, doesn't want you to know, or whatever reason, how do you get the information you need? The easiest answer to that is you don't need them to be an expert. What you need really is a list of their medications. Because if you can get a list of their medications and have a working knowledge of pharmacology on board, that equals one. You know everything about that patient. Because the medications will help you with your knowledge of pharmacology fill in the blanks as far as the medical conditions the potential pitfalls of do, working on that patient if the, the, those diseases are not uh, being managed correctly, what vital signs to be looking for, what laboratory results to be looking for. All of that really hedges on you being able to put the pieces together to sort of, forgive the expression, extract the information from the patient when they may not be forthcoming or just don't know. Right. So I always say, if you want to know something about somebody, find out what drugs they take. When I online date, that's the first question I ask. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. But you get, you get the idea, right? Right. You know about medications. You know about the person. Okay, so let's say somebody says to you, well, I'm taking uh, blood pressure medication. Which one? I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. 
far be it for me to tell you to spend any extra of your precious time doing things you don't need to do, but it may be worth a call to the pharmacy or, you know, maybe their, their significant other has a list. Anything you get your hands on that gives you some idea of what the names are, right? Right, right. Once you know the names of the medications and you can understand or be able to look up what it does, all right, I'm on a blood pressure medication. Okay, you're on uh, lisinopril, which mm-hmm. seems like the whole world's on lisinopril, yes. right? Okay. Yes, yes. Right? I saw that one today. Yeah, so you know, right? Blood pressure medication. But you also know that lisinopril can be prescribed for diabetics who don't necessarily have hypertension to preserve their kidney function due to their advancing diabetes. Okay, so I'm concerned as to why the patient got that prescription written. And that's really the essence of taking a medical history is getting the patient to tell you as much as they know. And it's really three questions. It starts off with the first question, which is what? Don't say the M word for medication, because when you say medication, they're thinking little bottles they got from the pharmacist. Don't say the word drug, because that's the same thing. Little bottles they got from the pharmacist. You got to ask a very generic, open-ended question, which is basically, what do you take? And just let it hang there. What do you take? And when I'm in New York City, I sometimes ask it a different way. I say, what do you take? What do you mean? Do you take stuff? What do you take? Let them tell you. What do you mean? What do I take? What do you take? Tell me everything. What do you, if you stick it in here, let me know about it. So that way they start telling you about the prescription drugs, but also the non-prescription drugs, dietary supplements, cannabis, whatever it is they're using, you get it all. And keep asking them. If yep. they pause, well, what else do you take? What else do you take? Ask it so many times that they want to vomit. And that way you're guaranteed to get all the information, right? But what's next important is why do you take it? Because lisinopril, like I said, could be used for different things. Amlodipine, which is Norbask, which is a calcium channel blocker, could be used for hypertension, but it could be used for angina. It could even be used for arrhythmia. Now, when I tell my students, ask, my students say, but they expect me to know that. I'm the... No, you right. don't know. Right. Ask them. Yeah. And then the third question, which escapes all of us, even me, from time to time, is what? Did you take it today? Because I know a lot of people who take lisinopril that don't take lisinopril. Yes. It's on their medical history. It's on their bottle. But in fact, uh, it's funny you say that because I my patient today that takes lisinopril, she takes it every other day as self-regulated. <laughs> yes. I've and her blood it. pressure yeah. was higher today. And I said, when when did you last take it? And she said, oh, it was the day before. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't yesterday. It was the day before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The number one reason why blood pressure medications fail is people don't take them. Right. It's incredible. Compliance is an issue. Yes. And here's we see that hygienists... in the general world, as you know. Right. But here's where hygienists save lives, right? Because if you're asking them, when did you take it? And they're like, well, I took it the other day. And even if you make a small, like, well, you know, you really should be taking that every day. That may not say anything to you at that moment, but going home in the car, come on, they respect you. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I did say to her, I said, well, you know, it's interesting that this is your blood pressure today. It's high. So it seems like that might be something you need to consider taking on a daily basis. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, they're driving home and they say, oh, the hygienist said it. And I really value what the hygienist says. I mean, I respect her. I respect him. I'm going to do what what they said. I'm going to take it every day. 
it's those little moments that add up. Right. That make me say hygienists save lives every day because you do. Uh, I'll give you another good example. Patients, a lot of patients believe they have what? Heart burn. Yes. That's what they call it, right? Because it burns in the middle of their chest. But what they really have, and you and I both know this, is reflux. Mm-hmm. Now, heartburn sounds a lot less benign, a lot more benign than reflux. Right. I'm going to call it heartburn. You and I both know it's reflux, right? But I'm going to call it heartburn because it sounds less serious. But you and I both know what? This is another opportunity for a hygienist to save a life. Why? You have reflux. That means over the course of time, the cells that line your esophagus are being battered with acid. Eventually, they will metamorphosize on their own to more durable cells called columnar epithelial cells. And that will be the beginning of the potential for gastroesophageal cancer. Right. But I can stop it if I just ask the patient as the hygienist one question. When's the last time you got scanned for Barrett's esophagus? What's Barrett's esophagus? Go see your doctor. And when you go to the doc as the patient, the patient's, uh, what's Barrett's? And doc's, okay, let's set you up for an endoscopy. If using an endoscope, I see those cells, I can remove those cells. And now I've eliminated a good portion of your risk of cancer, but only because the hygienist said to me, when's the last time you got scanned for Barrett's? I say this a lot to us, and people say to me, you know, well, you're some ivory tower academic. You teach at these 16 schools. Pay attention. Nobody's got time for this. But you do have time. Yes, we do. Make the time. Make the time. You're there to treat your patient. I know all about 45 minutes. You got to get stuff done. You got to have workflow. I totally get it. Make the time. Yep. Because it's important. Because you're there to treat your patient. It's interesting. I just did a podcast talking about uh, normal is not healthy because the the current status of our society and and it seems to be disease is the norm these days when you look at all the stats. And it's 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 so interesting to me. I had a patient, I guess, two weeks ago who when I was going through medical history, she told me that she took antacids every day. And I said, well, tell me more about that. And she said, well, I have, I have heartburn or reflux. I don't, I don't remember what she described it as, but she said, and my sister-in-law, she's a nurse. And she told me that I could, I could just manage it with that. And, and then the more we talked and the more we talked about just life and going through medical history and looking in her mouth, um, you know, determined that she likely had some serious apnea going on. which drives reflux. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you are using a Band-Aid every day to something that's going to take years off of your life. So true. Yeah. Said it better. And antacids are probably the worst thing you can use because antacids only neutralize stomach acid. So over the course of time, you end up making more acid, which means you need to take more antacid and it becomes a vicious cycle. Yes. Okay, so I won't take antacid. I'll take Pepsid and I'll take uh, Prilosec. Right, because you've seen a thousand commercials where the guy's getting into a fuss fight with his toxo, taco and then at the end they're all friends because he took a Prilosec. So I get that there's this overwhelming, you know, ad-related direct-to-consumer advertising that people see drugs as, as things they can take to self-medicate. But at the same time, those medications, even if they were once prescription drugs, have side effects and and have effects on dentition that we need to know. And a good example of that is 
if you take Prilosec on a regular basis or Nexium on a regular basis, you can buy them over the counter. Right. They shut down your stomach acid production so you can't absorb calcium. And the thought process there is if you can't absorb calcium, you're at risk for osteoporosis, uh, even demineralization of the enamel. And unfortunately, what? Potentially implant failure because implants can't osteointegrate if there's no good bone homeostasis. That's all conjecture. We really don't know if it's true, but there's enough anecdotal evidence to suggest it is. But all of that started with, like you just said, very well put. Somebody told that patient, you can manage your GERD by taking over-the-counter drugs, when in reality, they should be under the care of a physician. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I run into so many patients that, you know, when was the last time you had a full physical? Oh, it's been two or three years. You know, I I only go to the doctor if I have a problem. And yeah, I think we as hygienists get to really step into that space and encourage our patients to, you know, hey, you're coming to see me. I'm seeing some things that are concerning. You know, I want you to see your physician as well. Um, One thing that I run into a lot is hypertension, despite the fact that patients are taking their medications. Let's talk about it. Yes. So you're, look, and I'm just going to say this, all right, because I love hygienists and you know I do, but here's how this works, okay? In school, when you were in hygiene school, right, you took a blood pressure and pulse on every patient, correct? Yes, I still do. And see, now that's the thing. When you leave school, you're supposed to keep doing that. Right, right. But, you know, pressure, right? Workflow and, and deadlines. And sometimes, you know, we, we let things slide because we just got to get everything done. And we can't. And I totally understand that and I get it. But the point is they're called vital signs for a reason, right? We need to know what the patient's blood pressure is and, and the pulse so that you can make good clinical decisions about that patient's care. Okay. So I don't have time, Tom. How do I take someone's blood pressure? I don't have time to even breathe. Okay, get a cuff. Wrist cuff, arm cuff. No, no, those aren't accurate. Trust me, I'll take less than perfectly accurate to nothing every day of the week. Right. But here's the better point about this, right? The patient has hypertension. You tell them, hey, your blood pressure is high. It's like you said before, if they're not taking the medication, they may decide to take it. But they may go back to the doc and say, you know, I went to the hygienist. And I just found my blood pressure high like three times. Now, something's not right. I'm taking the medication. What am I supposed to do? And the even greater point is what? If you listen to that study that was published way back in 2014, it said what? Patients are more likely to see their dentist and their hygienist than they ought to see their medical doctor. Right. So if you take their blood pressure every time they come see you, who's really monitoring their blood pressure? Is it their doc? No, it's you. Right. You're their caretaker at that point. I didn't sign up for that by all I know, but it's part of your job anyway, right? Yeah. It's part of what we do. We, we treat our patients, good or bad, right? So tell me, back to the, the eight to 10 medications, how do we kind of sift through that? What's, what's the best way? I'm, so, so say we know them all. They actually are aware of them all. What's the best way to kind of figure out, you know, I don't know off the top of my head, obviously, all the side effects and what these can lead to and how these work together. Where's a good starting point for that? It's all about organ systems. As much as we may have hated anatomy and physiology in school because it was just another one of those subjects that seemed impossible, AMP2 is probably one of the most important subjects after pharmacology because it really describes your organs work. Okay, patient comes in, they're taking medications. I see a cardiovascular drug on there. The first thing I'm, thing I'm thinking is, okay, this patient has cardiovascular disease. 
I'm thinking blood pressure. I'm thinking cholesterol. I'm thinking the need for more than one medication, right, to control their blood pressure. I'm thinking maybe they're on an anticoagulant or an antiplatelet agent because maybe they've had issues with clots. I'm thinking comorbidities. Okay, they have cardiovascular disease. What if they have diabetes as well? What if they have kidney disease as well? I'm looking for those other drugs, right, to see what else is on there. So I'm starting a conversation with myself. Before I even start the words coming out of my mouth, I'm forming a roadmap, okay? Cardiovascular disease starts the roadmap a lot of times because it really, other than cancer, is the number one killer in the United States and abroad, right? So start with cardiovascular disease, think diabetes, think potentially other comorbidities, kidney disease, and so on. Think outside the box a little bit beyond that and say, okay, cardiovascular disease, was this person a smoker? Did they use alcohol? You know, what got them to cardiovascular disease? Was it just diet? Was it lifestyle? You know, what what was it exactly? So go down that road a little bit, right? Then realize that patients who have cardiovascular disease and, you know, let's say diabetes might have respiratory disease. Why? Because especially gastrointestinal, respiratory, and diabetes seem to go along. They seem to stick. Well, let me check the medications. Oh, okay. You see a gastrointestinal drug on there. I'm going to ask about GERD. I'm going to ask about the potential for, you know, maybe they have apnea, right? I'm going to go down that road a little bit. Well, that's going to lead to respiratory. Why? Because patients with reflux often cough in the middle of the night and aspirate acid. Now that damages their lungs and now they have respiratory disease. So I'm going to ask about that. Asthma, COPD, where they're a smoker. I'm going to take all of those organ systems and sort of stitch them together. And then the last one I'm going to think about is central nervous system. I don't have to tell you this. I'm sure you know a lot of people, especially post-COVID, if this is even called post-COVID at this point, are depressed. They're anxious. They're, they're, their mental health is at a crisis in this country right now. So I want to know if they're taking any medications to, to affect their mood because I want to know how they're going to respond to treatment, right? And realize that there are some patients with with special things going on in their lives, you know, whatever, the loss of a family member. Well, maybe they're transgender and, and they're struggling with that. I've got to be sensitive to all of that. I have to know exactly what's going on in their life, even if it is a little invasive to ask. I've got to know all that that's going on because I can then get a snapshot of this patient and say, what's the best route of treatment? Here's the thing, not just for me, the hygienist. As I tell all my students, you're the hygienist. You're the front and back door of the office. People come to see you. But at the end of the day, it's a team. Yes. Right? You want to be the hygienist who's the most knowledgeable about that patient and the most knowledgeable about pharmacology. Why? Because working in a dental office is like working on an island, a deserted island. Right? You're just on this island. You don't have contact with anybody else. Just you. Right? So your knowledge of pharmacology in that office is limited to the smartest person in pharmacology in that office, okay? Could be the dentist, could be you. But one person's going to be the fountain of knowledge when it comes to pharma. Let it be you. So that every person in that office says, what do you know about this drug? Go ask that person. They know. Ask the hygienist. And all of a sudden, you become valuable and dangerous. Dangerous in a good way, meaning... You're so valuable to that practice, they can't afford to let you go. Right. They couldn't live without you. Your dentist comes to rely on you like, hey, we don't know about this drug. Or you go to the dentist and say, Psst, 
patients on this drug, we should be looking out for this. Next time, I'm the, if I'm the dentist, next time that comes up, I'm going to be like, where's that hygienist again? I, I need to ask that person a question. You become so valuable that it's not just the fact that you're the, the most valuable team member. You're the person. I can't live without that person in my office. That's job security. That is that is career security. And yet, at the same time, you're still delivering great care to your patients. I love my hygienist. Why? Because she does exactly that. And she's one of my former students. She asks me questions. I'm sure it's intimidating because she must be like, wait a minute, if I don't ask this guy the right question, he knows the right question. But but she's great because she does exactly that. She does everything I taught her. And I keep saying to her all the time, you remember everything, don't you? And she said to me, you told me to remember everything. Remember, you said be valuable. And I, I'll never forget that because it, it it got me like, wow, somebody actually listens. You know, somebody, one of my students actually paid attention because with everything else you're doing in hygiene school, she listened to that and remembered it. So I passed that on to everybody I can that, it's important as a hygienist to be valuable, not just to yourself, not just to your patient, but to the team around you. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about what, what we should look for from an oral aspect of side effects to some of these really common drugs out there. What a good question. Okay, I will tell you, the first thing any that's going to pop in anybody's mind, and rightfully so, is xerostomia, right? Yes, for sure. You know, they say over 700 medications cause xerostomia. Okay, well, are there that many medications? I guess so, right? So it seems like every medication causes xerostomia. Fine. But now think about some other drugs that have some other effects, okay? So again, some obvious ones. Gingival hyperplasia, right? Amlodipine induced gingival hyperplasia is on the rise right now. Ask people in practice, they'll tell you why. Amlodipine is much more popular than it ever was. Why? It's been around forever. Because amlodipine is, is high in the list now of, of the drugs that most cardiologists recommend when they're trying to control hypertension. Okay, so amlodipine's big, therefore amlodipine-induced gingival hyperplasia or gingival enlargement now is, is considered a big deal all of a sudden. Okay, so you have xerostomia, gingival en- 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 enlargement. What else? Okay, how about clenching? A lot of medications cause clenching, especially SSRIs, right? Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they cause clenching. Okay, so what does clenching mean? Number one, TMJ issues, right? right? Myofacial banding, overdeveloped masseters so they can't open beyond the two fingers, right? That makes it hard for you to do your job. Right. Then what? Broken cusps, fractured cusps, fractured crowns, vertical fractures in the teeth, right? Sensitivity. Yep, then recession what? and abfraction, right. pain, yeah. Exactly, pain, and 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 then add on xerostomia, add on the fact they have to wear appliances. Wow, that's a lot. Now, can you tell a patient to stop taking it? No, because that's the drug that's working for them. So you have the challenge as the hygienist, the dentist, whoever, to work around all that because that's for the best, the best, the, the patient's best, That that's... You're doing what you need to do to give the patient the best chance of getting the, the help they need for their condition. And I will say this also, which I hardly ever forget to say. I don't want to forget this time. Remember that one of the main side effects of medications to treat depression and anxiety is suicidal ideation. Now, I know this is cruel irony, right? Because you right. take the medication, right? 
you're anxious, you're depressed. By the time you reach out to the doc, you're pretty upset. You're pretty anxious. You're pretty depressed. They give you the medication to take. And for the first couple of weeks, all you think about is suicide. Uh, what more cruel irony can you get? So I always say this. I'll say it now too. In college, I had to work my way through college. How did I do it? I was a bartender. What did I learn being a bartender? How to listen and how to speak. Because if you don't listen and speak at the right time when you're a bartender, you get one of these, right? So, and that's bad for my teeth, right? So I listened and I spoke when necessary. I'm asking everyone, every hygienist who's listening to do this as well. Be the bartender. If I have suicidal thoughts, I may not tell my family member. I may not tell my doctor, physician's assistant, nurse practitioner. I may not tell my clergy person. But I might tell somebody who I think is in the medical professions, who I respect, who I care for, who I know respects and cares for me, who's someone who's easy to talk to, someone who's approachable. That's you. I'm going to tell you. Right. Are you listening? Because if you're listening, you'll hear the words. And when you hear those words, speak. Now is your chance, right? Give them the suicide prevention hotline number. If they're transgender, give them the number for the Trevor Project. Give them the resource they need at that moment so that when they leave your office, they have hope. Because somebody listened and somebody spoke. Now, has it happened to me? Three times over my career where I got anonymous letters from people saying, you don't know me. I'm not going to tell you my name, but that day you were there and you said that thing. If you didn't say it at that moment, I don't know. I, would, I was going to go home and do something bad to myself. Getting the, all right, that's 25 years, right? But, but three times to me means I may have saved three lives. Right. Trust me. That's just me, the pharmacist. Okay. Working in a clinic sometimes with my students, you're on the front lines every day. So when I talk about side effects, I don't just mean tangible side effects. I mean, sometimes intangible side effects, right? Effects on their, on their mood and, and their behavior. Step in when you can. Again, I know what you're thinking. I would say the same thing. I didn't sign up for this. I signed <laughs> up for oral health care. It comes with so much more. <laughs> comes with the territory. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me just a little bit about um, blood thinners, because obviously a lot of what we're doing in hygiene, you know, there's a lot of gingivitis. There's a lot of periodontal disease out there. We see, unfortunately, a lot of bleeding in our chairs. What kind of considerations should we be mindful? And this is kind of a refresher of when we're looking at blood thinners and thinking about treating those patients. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, first, I got to laugh because some people say when their gums are bleeding, they say, well, that's because I'm on a blood thinner. <laughs> no, it's probably because you have periodontal disease. But all right. Well, but OK, so if you flip that around. OK, so the patient who's on an anticoagulant, first of all, what kind? All right. So let's take a step back and say it's you're on a drug for a thromboembolic disease. OK, you might be on an antiplatelet agent. First of all, you might be on aspirin or Plavix or Effient or Berlinta, right? These are, are antiplatelet agents, which are technically not anticoagulants. They just make your platelets less sticky. So the chance of bleeding is there, but it's not as great as if you were taking a true anticoagulant, like Coumadin, mm -hmm. Redoxa, Xarelto, Eliquis, and this new drug, which is my favorite because of the, I love the name, Cerveza, because it sounds like Cerveza. 
So don't tell anybody I said that. So, so when you're, you're on one of those, okay, now as an on anticoagulant, there's an increased risk of bleeding. Now people had a trouble, had trouble with the newer anticoagulants, Zarelto, Eloquist, because they said, um, how's this drug safe? I mean, I know Coumadin is safe, but these are brand new drugs. I, I don't know if these drugs are safe. Turns out they're very safe. No offense to Coumadin. Coumadin is a good drug too, but can you bleed to death taking Coumadin? Yes. Ask any rat. Okay. The main ingredient of rat poison is Coumadin. Okay. So you can bleed to death taking Coumadin. Well, if you're going to bleed to death, I need a test. And so we had the INR test to tell us how close you were to bleeding to death or clotting to death, depending on the results, right? Well, these new anticoagulants don't block all clotting factors like Coumadin does. They only block one. Therefore, the blood test is not necessary. I could take an anticoagulant and not have to take a blood test every two weeks? Sign me up. Yeah, but there's no blood test. So how do I know if the patient's going to bleed to death or clot to death? I don't. I don't know if it's safe to work on this patient. I don't. That's a little bit troublesome for dental professionals. And the other thing about these drugs is for the first 10 years they were available, there was no reversal agent. So at least with Coumadin, you could always reverse Coumadin with what? Vitamin K, right? You had too much Coumadin effect, they'd probably either give you vitamin K or, you know, or make you increase your intake of vitamin K. How do you get vitamin K? Spinach, kale, kale. Anyway, so Green leafies, which is why your patients were told don't eat green leafies when they're on Goomin, right? Okay. But these newer ones, you had to have a specific reversal agent. And the reversal agent wasn't available when the drug first came out. So get this. You could have been on Zarelto or Eliquis and for five years, let's say. And in that five years, if you fell down a flight of stairs, got into a car accident, whatever, had inter- internal injuries and bleeding, you probably would have died. That's the how desperate people were to take an anticoagulant without that stupid blood test. Now we've got reversal agents for them. They're pretty safe drugs and they're probably safer than Coumadin if you do ask the patient to stop taking them. But I've got to caution everybody listening. That's typically not the norm. Typically now for general dentistry, for hygiene, we tell the patient, keep taking it because the risk of thrombosis is greater than the benefit of them not bleeding during the procedure. But the patient came in for a full mouth extraction, sinus lift, you know, involved procedures where there's going to be a lot of blood. Then maybe you take a partner with the cardiologist and recommend the patient stop taking. Yeah. Yeah. I know in our practice, we do a lot of sedation dentistry. We do a lot of extractions, implants, you know, all on fours, those kind of things. So our doctors always reach out to the physicians and just, you know, get clearance and let them know what we're doing and what that should look like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Don't be afraid of the consult. Yes. I know it takes more time you don't have, but it's not about litigation. It's about patient and their health. that's, That's why we're there. Yes. Um, have you seen any um, interactions between any medications and anything that we are prescribing over the counter from, well, not necessarily over the counter, but from a standpoint of like offices that use chlorhexidine, um, you know, the Previdence, those sorts of those types of products that we recommend to patients. 
what should be, we be aware of if they are taking certain medications? Have you seen interactions in any of those? Luckily, no. I will tell you, it doesn't really happen very much with the medication that we recommend or, or a dentifrice or something that we ask the patient to use versus the medications that they take. It's, it's more likely the other way around. It's more likely that the medications that they take interact with drugs that we use in dentistry. So a good example of that is anesthesia, right? Right. Some drugs interact with anesthetic agents. And so that can lead to adverse results for the patient. Now, I'll give you a good example of one. It's, a, it's an over-the-counter drug, too. It's The name of the drug is Tagamet. Now, Tagamet has been around for years. I mean, probably longer than me. So we're talking a long time, okay? And Tagamet is available still because it's one of the three drugs in this class. You may recognize the other two more. You may recognize Zantac, mm-hmm. Pepsid, more than you recognize Tagamet. Well, the problem is Zantac is still on a worldwide recall because of the potential for causing cancer. One of the... Uh, ingredients made in the manufacturing can cause cancer. So Zantac's on recall right now. I think it's coming back though. Pepsid is also being used right now to experimentally to see if we can block the COVID-19 virus from entering the body via the GI. So most people have access now to Tagamet because it's really the only one that's widely available. Well, it's been around forever. So what's the problem? Well, Tagamet is one of the few drugs that interacts with lidocaine. It makes lidocaine last longer, not here, but here. So that means what? More adverse effects from lidocaine if you're on Tagamet. Okay, so that's one interaction. Now let's go the other way. A drug that we use in dentistry that I see often as a problem for patients who take medications. And that drug is Diflucan. Now Diflucan, fluconazole for oral candidiasis and fungal pharyngitis, not very commonly used. You know, once in a while, you might prescribe it if you've got patients with candidiasis, but it's it's not the norm. But if you ask me, Tom, give me the name of one medication that we use in dentistry that causes the most drug interactions. I'd have to say it's Diflucan. Hmm. Diflucan interacts with more drugs than most drugs. So imagine... You're prescribing this Diflucan, right? Your doc's prescribing this Diflucan. Yeah, it's one dose. Maybe wait a few days, take another dose. But in that time frame, they're taking Diflucan. All of their other medications potentially are affected. And you see how dentistry, right? Dental hygiene and medicine interact. And, and that's the crossroads. The sad part is for years, we treated patients like what? Two separate patients. They were a medical patient and they were a dental patient, Right. Only now we're starting to see the convergence and realize we're really part of a much bigger team, not just our team, but the overall team, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, in our practice, we do a good bit of um, salivary diagnostics, um, specifically for periodontal disease. Um, And I've been, this is my 26 year of practice and yeah, thanks. And, um, you know, for a long time, and again, I'm still kind of on the fence between prescribing antibiotics because of the GI long-term ramifications. Um, But I'm also seeing, you know, as I'm doing these salivary diagnostics, I'm seeing patients that I have been treating, you know, for years that are perio maintenance patients that I still see active bleeding and inflammation. So, you know, we have this tool and I'm saying, Hey, let's, let's actually see what's going on here. 
And I'm getting these results back and there's substantial pathogenesis going on with these, these bacteria. And so I have been stepping into where we are prescribing more antibiotics. And it's very commonly, you know, amoxicillin, ciprofloxacin, uh, metronidazole. Those are, you know, kind of the, the, the most common. So I'm just curious, what do we need to be aware of from their medical history when we're looking at those kinds of prescriptions? When would we say, oh, this might not be a good idea? Right. So we prescribe antibiotics in dentistry. You, depending on how you look at it, somewhat frequently, okay? Right, right. Not as much as some other prescribers do, but but fairly frequently in dentistry when we need to, okay, when we're treating oral infection. Now, antibiotics as a rule are pretty benign. They right. they don't really interact with many medications, although some do, right? So, the, for example, if you wanted to look at amoxicillin, amoxicillin really doesn't have direct drug interactions, but indirectly it can influence bacterial flora. And that can affect other drugs, especially oral contraceptives. Has there been any proof that that's really true? No. Why? I guess it's hard to get volunteers. Yeah, take these two drugs. Let's see if you get pregnant. I mean, obviously, that may not be an easy thing to do. But the point is, there's a potential there. And I'm sure a lot of people have heard that. Whether it's not proven, it's anecdotal. Okay. But let's say the patient's penicillin allergic. Okay. Then our next choice is clindamycin. Good drug. Don't get me wrong. Clindamycin is a great drug, especially if you have deep-seated infection. I'd want clindamycin. But clindamycin can cause, although any antibiotic that we use in dentistry can right. cause it, clindamycin causes more C. diff-related disease, right? right? C. diff-related infection. Right. Okay. So then maybe we'll use azithromycin. Right. Okay. Now, azithromycin, also known as the ZPAC, a lot of people recognize right. it as that, is a good drug. Now, why would I use azithromycin? Well, it's not related to the penicillins, right? So there's no potential allergy. But azithromycin has been linked to drug interaction and it has been linked to the potential for arrhythmia. Now, when people take z they may not read the package insert they get that says that azithromycin has been linked to potential for arrhythmia. Well, that's because it's only really in patients who are predisposed to arrhythmia. Well, who's predisposed to arrhythmia? How about somebody who received local anesthesia? So that could be a problem. Okay. Well, then the next choice I'd have would be doxycycline. Okay, but doxycycline is bacteriostatic. And while it works, that's not one of our favorites in dentistry. Right. We haven't really used it very often. So the American Heart Association last year introduces a new contender, cephalexin, keflex, and says we should be replacing clindamycin with other drugs. And one of them might be keflex. Okay. Keep in mind that if you're allergic to penicillin, Depending on who you ask, there could be up to a 10% chance you're allergic to Keflex, cephalosporins. So you really can't use it that way as far as a replacement for clindamycin. All of that means what? You're, you're altering the flora in the intestine to some extent. Do we use quinolones sometimes, like Cipro? Absolutely, right? But remember, even quinolones have their issues. Tendinitis, like spontaneous rupture of your Achilles tendon. Weeks after you've stopped the drug, right? What else? Prolonged QT, where they can affect the QT interval and the EKG, and that can mean what? The potential for arrhythmia. Wait a minute. Arrhythmia? We just talked about that. If you give the patient anesthesia, that's also, yeah, I know. So while they seem benign, they have indirect effects on oral health and systemic health 
oral meaning that you're sort of curtailed into what you can use right and systemic health by altering the flora and altering you know, drug absorption and the efficacy of some drugs now let's just say cumin for example cumin works because you have vitamin k cloning factors where did you get them well you an intake of vitamin k but also it's made by your bacterial flora if i kill off those flora with a broad spectrum antibiotic now my cuminin level is off because I'm, I have nothing to balance it against. I'm not, I'm not getting those vitamin K cloning factors from those bacteria because they're dead. So that's why we've got to be very aware of what we prescribe. And there's always the case as well, of you know very well, is, is resistance, right? Right. So we don't want to overprescribe because, right. you know, resistance is, is tough to beat. And let's face it, our arsenal in dentistry is very small. Yeah. I typically, when we do give prescriptions for antibiotics, I typically talk to the patient about, you know, especially if it's metronidazole, I say, hey, no alcohol while you're taking this or for three days after. But I always recommend getting a good probiotic. Right. Tell me as a pharmacist, do you have any favorite probiotics to recommend? I'm glad you brought up metronidazole. I always leave that for the end, because metronidazole is not a single agent drug. So metronidazole is only really effective against gram-negative anaerobes. So we usually combine it with, you know, amoxicillin or cephalexin or clindamycin. But you're right, the alcohol interaction can happen even with alcohol-based mouthwashes. So we've got to be really careful that patients don't use an alcohol-based mouthwash like Listerine with, when they're taking metronidazole. Because even a small amount that they may swallow can have that disulfram-like reaction. Okay. But that leads down this road, right? Okay, so when you're killing the gram-positive aerobes, the gram-negative anaerobes, I'm killing bad bugs, but I'm also killing good bugs. So right. don't I need to put them back? And so, yes. yeah, I, I believe in probiotics, but I will tell you, I believe in those probiotics that are refrigerated. Okay. I believe that the refrigerated probiotics probably work better because they have more live bacteria in them uh, right. than some of the stuff you buy over the counter that's not refrigerated. Right. Well, and I know for GI, you know, the GI strains are so important. They've got to make it through the acid. So, and I'm guessing that's the refrigerated. So I guess this is good information for me. The refrigerated actually, is it refrigerated because it contains more and more strains and that's why? Yeah, they're okay. more t- temperature sensitive. So they need to be under right. refrigeration and, you know, lac- lactobacillus, bifidus, right. those are the things we, we look for. Now, keep in mind one thing though, those friendly, happy, pappy bacteria in that capsule are good for you, but they're not good for everyone. If you have ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease or something, those happy, happy, bug, happy, happy bugs can become problematic for you. They could be pathogenic if they leave your colon and get in your bloodstream. So not everybody's a good candidate. That's why they should be consulting their doc to find right. out what they can do. Right. And then I'm a big fan of oral probiotics as well. Um, you know, just again, repopulating with the good. Because yeah. I, I think that's our biggest battle in all of this is is keeping a good, healthy flora throughout back, the body. Back to the balance, right? Yeah. Back to what we need. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I am so appreciative of your time with us tonight. Um, and you. I'm hoping that maybe we can have you as a repeat guest and we can kind of pick some different um you know, systemic issues that go on and kind of help us really dig into what, what we need to know about those. I do have one last question because, you know, the reality is there are new drugs coming out all the time. 
and I see new medications on medical histories, I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> is there a quick reference that you recommend for us to, you know, kind of a quick go-to to look at and kind of get the basic information on these new things that are coming out and understanding interactions or no? I would say Google it first, okay. right? Okay. Get a list of, of what, you know, quick and easy. Now, if you want more in-depth information, and again, nobody pays me, I'm not sponsored. So I could tell you like Lexicomp might be a good source, you know, they're, they're, well, you know, some people like the PDR online. Okay. I, they're all pay for, you know, you have to pay for the service. Right. So you use a free website first to kind of get the gist of it. But once you have a working knowledge of pharmacology, unless it's a brand new drug in a brand new class, you know, if Violapril came out tomorrow, I would know that's what, that's an ACE inhibitor, right? So, you know, based on your existing knowledge, where, where drugs sort of fit in. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your expertise, for your passion about what you do, for making this a very easy thing to digest and think about, because it is, it is so, so important. And, you know, you're right. When we signed up for this, I'll be honest, when I signed up, I thought I was just worrying about what happened in here. But I will say over the years and learning more about the oral systemic connection, that's really what set me on fire for getting to do what I do every day. So it's people like you that help educate us to be the best we can be and take the best care of our patients. So I'm very, very appreciative. Let's do that. Let's do this month, like every so often. Let's get together and do another disease. We barely covered so much information. We covered a lot of ground. If we took an organ system every, you know, every so often and and went over it, we could talk about the drugs. We could talk about the dental considerations. I hope that would be very valuable to your listeners. Yes, you heard that, listeners. I think we've got him. You're going to hear from Tom again very, very soon. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I will see all of you listeners next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you. 